What the hell's the name of this thing? Is this Wayne's World? The award-winning Evan Grant. I can't even count anymore on my fingers and toes. Kevin Sherrington. Kevin Sherrington, clown number one. Barry Horn. Who tried to get me in mid-shoe? Hello, everybody, and welcome into another fascinating, unbelievable edition of Ballsy. I thought David Moore was our guest this week. What? Oh, wow. First of all, I'm Kevin Sherrington. I'm Barry Horn, and our special guest for this Cowboy-centric podcast is... David Moore. Of Ticket Fame, where we hear they're now doing e-breaks with your voice. Is that correct? That may have happened on one or two occasions, possibly, yes. No, I, I think what the deal is that people are calling in using are calling their David in Moore voice. Using me. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> the David Moore voice, that's a good thing. You're like, you're like Ed Sullivan now. People, people it, recognize, the, recognize the voice. Actually, I'm, com- I'm compared to uh, one of the Muppets more than uh, Ed Sullivan. <laughs> well, they, they, you know, I feel bad. They have you. They have, they have the goose. The yeah, goose. Yeah, well, that, that's an the easy goose. one to do. That's an easy one to do. Which Muppet are, are they are they comparing you with? I'm Kermit. I guess I have a little bit of a Kermit quality to me. <laughs> I would never have said that. <laughs> what what, what were you going to say, Miss Piggy? Yeah, well, more more so, yeah. Oh, my yeah, God. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe. Anyway, David, uh, give us a, your update now that you have uh, you have been breaking news, medical news, about Tony Romo's clavicle uh, slash collarbone slash he's having to get gold-plated, I think. Isn't that what you said? I think it's uh, antimantium. It's the same thing that they use for Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> so so when someone tries to grab him, these things come up right out of his shoulder pads? Is that the, is that the deal? That'd be, that'd be yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. He may do true. something with his hands, too, so uh, he's less likely to fumble. I don't know if anyone's going to slap at the ball anymore. I like it. I like it. Well, how, how big are Tony's hands? <laughs> what, what is this a presidential debate? I, I don't know. I just I just like to know how big his hands are because we know the nine the nine inch hands was big at the, even before at the combine. At the combine was big. Yeah, they weren't actually. They were not big at the combine. That was a big discussion. But, but nine inch hands yeah. were not. Yeah, that was. And Brandon Allen was having his hands stretched by a masseuse so he could have a, a, a better the, reading. The combine, the presidential debate. Yeah, how about that? Who would have thought all this would have uh, it would have come to this? How big are your hands, David? Tell us, please. <laughs> They fit the keyboard properly. How's that? <laughs> That's enough. That's enough. Thank you very much. So what is what are we to make of this latest news about Tony Romo's uh, clavicle? Well, this is, uh, you know, he, he broke it on two separate occasions during the season, as everyone remembers. Yes. And and as it was healing, they were looking at the options. If if There were three options. One was to do nothing. Two was to attach a plate. Three was to do the Mumford procedure, where I assume they play Mumford and Sons in the background while the uh-huh. surgery is going on. Oh, you're so witty. I, well, I, I I knew Barry would use that, so I was trying to beat him to <laughs> yeah, it. You beat me to it. Keep him quiet for the rest of this segment. Yeah, that's a, that's a good thing. <laughs> but uh, and, and that is where you actually uh, – it, it's a distal clavicle fracture, and that's where you shave or cut off a portion of the clavicle as it attaches into the shoulder uh, the shoulder area. And one thing, I know a lot of people, there was a lot of speculation that there was going to be a plate, and Tony had said he was leaning toward the plate. But the other thing you need to keep in mind in this procedure is uh, it depends on the location of the fracture. And my understanding was that if the fracture was more centrally located or more toward the, the center 
uh, of the body, then a plate may have made more sense. So it's actually closer to the shoulder blade. So you're not going to attach a plate that close to the shoulder blade. So it makes more sense to shave the clavicle, uh, try to uh, improve its strength and make a better fit, if you will. And that really does place less long-term stress on the bone than a plate. Because if you attach a plate, the, over time, the, the stress of that plate will compromise or potentially can compromise the, the strength and integrity of the bone around it. So uh, either option was viable. Uh, they, they determined that this was the best way to proceed. And to, to give one high-profile uh, high example of this, uh, Emmett Smith, back in 1994, I believe it was, actually had the Mumford procedure. Uh, this was after he had the shoulder issues in the playoffs. Uh, and still was able to play, but he had the Mumford procedure in the offseason and never had any more issues. I am so glad you decided not to skip journalism school the day they taught clavicles. <laughs> I, I, because you, you bring new, new meaning to uh That was really good stuff. It. It's very, yeah. very, very medical of you. I, I really, you were really very clinical. I, I think we could put a doctor in front of your name now. Uh, <laughs> well, the, the, the one or two times I've actually used the phrase collarbones, I've had doctors email me going, what do you mean collarbone? I thought you said it was a clavicle. You know. oh, okay, okay, I'm done. I'm imprecise in my wording. It's a distal clavicle. So. <laughs> we, we like that. We like that you get that straightened out. So I guess what everybody wants to know then is, so the, what's, what's the downtime on this? Uh, it'll be six to eight weeks. He'll have the procedure early this week. He will be back for, they begin their OTAs, which are organized team activities, where they don't do any hitting, but they're able to go out and, and run routes. Uh, against the defense. That will start up in late May. Uh, my understanding is he will be cleared to take part in that and throw uh, in late May. So six to eight weeks, he won't be throwing early in that time frame. They'll be toward the end. Uh, but he'll be able to do his core exercises, uh, be able to do uh, everything else in order to get ready to throw. So they anticipate no, uh, no detriment or drag on him being able to practice this entire offseason. Can you look into your Jerry Jones crystal ball and tell us how many years do you think does it? Are you do you think you'll be covering Tony Romo four years from now, five years from now, and you will still be on the beat? So don't, don't use that excuse. <laughs> no, yeah, no. yeah. Well, one, no. Let's, well, will there still be a newspaper? Can we ask that? Can I ask that <laughs> on this? Uh, let's not. Get Tommy, really dark, Tommy, okay? cut that out. Yeah, Tommy, try. Tommy, come Take on. Take that out. But we'll be. I don't know if they'll be. But we'll be doing podcasts. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely be doing podcasts. I agree with that. So, uh, you know, Jerry gets uh, laughed at as, as he often does, mocked when he keeps throwing out this four to five year time frame, basically because he does it every year. At the end of every year, he says, Tony Romo has four or five more years. And so when you go from the first time he first started saying it, it's going to go to like 11 more years. But um, I, I, think, I think Tony Romo is closer to three years than a lot of people think. You know, I get this impression people think, oh, he's, he's on his last legs here. Uh, look, he couldn't get through last season. Uh, but go back to previous, I mean, except for when he broke the collarbone in 2010, how many games did he miss from 2011 through 2014? Uh, I believe it was like two or three. Um, so, and I, I think there's a perception he misses more games than he actually has. One, because he missed 12 this last year, and I get that. Uh, two, he, he only missed the two last year, but with all the back surgeries, you keep thinking, well, uh, this guy just 
can't continue to subject his body to this. Um, that's certainly valid. I understand it. But if you don't break the clavicle again, and, and we have seen the back hasn't been an issue for a while, uh, I think three years is reasonable. Well, will, will the surgery make this clavicle stronger? Or Well, you know, that, that's the other thing I'm a little unclear on. You know, he keeps talking about taking measures to ensure this won't happen again. Um, and people, I know that the inclination is to say, well, wait, if you're, you're shaving or dissecting the clavicle, you're actually taking bone away, so how can that make it stronger? Uh, it makes it stronger if everything fits better. <laughs> you know, if you don't have, uh, if the mechanics are, are more in a line. And I think that's what they're going for here. And, and I hesitate to say that it uh, will make the collarbone or the clavicle stronger. I think what it does is it, it eases any pain and any potential uh, for putting stress on the clavicle because you feel discomfort or it doesn't feel just right, and so you alter your throwing motion a little bit, which puts stress on another part of the of the clavicle. So from that standpoint, I think you could argue it strengthens it. As far as actually functionally strengthening that part of the collarbone, I'm not sure you can make that argument. You can't make bone stronger. You can, yeah, what you're no. what you're doing is you're you're taking something out of the way to keep it from making contact with something else. And, yeah, and for, exactly. And, and so it's just, just like all those Rangers pitchers who keep having their ribs removed. You know, the, the thoracic outlet syndrome when they and they you know it, I I don't know if it's going on in other major league clubhouses or not, but they're constantly taking ribs out of these guys. I, I, don't, I it doesn't sound right to me, but you know, are they, they, they serving them at off the bone? Yeah. Very, very nice. Okay, that's that's why we did that whole Mumford procedure thing. We we didn't we wanted you to clear, and now you've gone right to that. That's I'm sorry. unbelievable. All right, here's here's the issue, and I I had a little note about this Sunday with me and and uh, and Tony Romo's clavicle, collarbone, scapula, you know, scapezius muscle, whatever we want to call what's the matter. The, the issue for me is he just needs to get rid of the ball faster. And and uh, and I know you and your good friend Danny White, as you reported earlier in the year, had talked about the fact that. He's not throwing the ball when the guys are before the guys make their breaks or as they're making their breaks. He's waiting to see them looking at him, and then he's throwing it. And of course, that's great. He's he's very elusive and he does a lot of things back there. But he's also setting himself up to get hit a lot more often. As we point out, our our uh, our, our good friend Tom Brady is getting the ball out in like 2.2 seconds, which is unbelievably fast. And it's one of the reasons why their offense works so well, and it's one of the reasons why it didn't work against Denver because they got to him even before those 2.2 seconds. It was unbelievable what they were able to do. So is there any hope that Tony Romo could see a lesson in all this and maybe I will try to somewhat alter my game at 35, 36, whatever he is now? Somewhat, but how much? And this goes to the core issue that a lot of athletes face is, you know, you, you need to let Tony Romo be Tony Romo. If you take away what makes him special, how effective will he be? Now, there's, there's a line in there. There's a, there's a line of efficiency uh, and everything else and safety in there that you have to take into account, too. Uh, one thing that sets Tony Romo apart is not just he buys additional time because he's elusive in the pocket. When he buys that time, He's not looking to dump the ball off. He's looking to throw it deep. And that ability to stretch a defense vertically has been a key to his success and this offensive success when it's going well. So, But what you do is, what Danny White was talking about is, you've taken out the timing patterns. And you really saw it last year when Tony Romo was out. 
he goes out, and receivers don't have to run as precise of a route because he's not delivering it strictly on timing. He's going to wait and say, oh, well, I could hit him right now, but if I hold on a little bit longer, he has the edge on this guy, and he's going to get past him, and we can get a bigger play. And so I think it's Romo's not only his improvisational ability, but his ability to hit big plays has delayed this offense a little bit and gotten it out of the timing route, per se. And how much can you bring that in and still retain that dangerous vertical element that Tony Romo brings you? I think that's something they really have to sit down and look at very very hard this offseason to determine what they can do in certain situations that allow Tim to get the ball out quicker. So we've talked a lot about what the Cowboys need to do on their defensive side in the draft and free agency, uh, whatever they need to do to repair that. And there's no question they need to do that. There's more talent on the offensive side of the ball. But don't you think that, you know, we've talked about the fact that maybe they need to get a running – they do need to get a running back in the draft. I don't know how high they need to go to get a running back, but I think they need to add one. But don't you think they need to add a wide receiver in the draft as well? Yes, because what they've run into is – and even when they go – say when you go four wides now, uh, I think Cole Beasley is an outstanding uh, slot receiver. I don't think you he is that effective when you place him on the outside. So now when you go four wide, who's your fourth receiver that you go out that spreads it? You don't have one that, that gives you any threat whatsoever. And, and we saw last year with Dennis Al that Terrence Williams wasn't able to move over and become the lead receiver. And, and that's a lot of their problems last year were I don't think they had another – strong alternative at outside receiver uh, once Dez went out to really stretch the defense. Are you, so, sa- are you satisfied? Yeah, they need another one. Are you satisfied with him as a number two receiver, Terrence? Terrence Williams? Yeah. It, with with a healthy Dez, I know a lot of people are not. I would be. Now, does that mean you can't find someone better in the draft? Uh, I think you probably could find someone better in the draft if you're willing to take one high enough. Yeah. Uh, high- Terrence Williams was a third-round pick. Uh, could you find a third-round pick that is as good or better than Terrence Williams in this draft? Uh, you might be able to, uh, especially since you're picking at the top of the third round. See, here's here's, uh, what, I, here's what I'm thinking about the draft. If you go defense, and if they decide not to take the quarterback, and let's say you go defense there, you take Jalen Ramsey, you take Joey Bosa, whoever that great defensive player is, and if you take, if you sign Olivier Vernon, he's, he's, he's the defensive he end from Miami, isn't he done? No, he's not done. They have they have him franchise. They gave him the transitional tag. Okay. The transition tag. Yeah, we, it would be a pretty hefty price. It would be a big price. But, Draft choices. But the, no, no, no. It's just a deal. You just sign him. It's a contract. Right. You know, it's a contract deal, and the Dolphins have the right to match it, but they don't have the money to match it. You know, they're just hoping no one else is going to, you know, to, to give him this offer. So if you if you you know break the bank for him and you and let's say you draft Bosa or Ramsey with that first pick, now you can go offense in the second round, and now you can either take maybe you take a Derrick Henry, the running back from Alabama, the Heisman Trophy winner. Maybe you take Josh Dotson if he's available. Then he may he may go He'll in be the first gone. round. How Probably. about a tight end? Do the Cowboys need a tight end, Kevin? Maybe. Let's 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 have Kevin maybe Hunter Henry from Arkansas from Arkansas. Jerry surely surely knows who he is. Oh. Yeah. He does. <laughs> but you know, seriously, I, I think that if you were able to add, I, I think you might be able to go, even if you don't sign Vernon, which is a little bit far-fetched, but I don't, it doesn't mean you shouldn't uh, think about it. Uh, if you were to add a Ramsey or a Bosa there at one, I don't think there's anything wrong with going 
with an offensive player there at two because I think that this offense needs uh, a game breaker at, at wide receiver, a guy that you know that can. I, I just don't feel like it. Terrence Williams is that player. He he was very good when you watched defenses back off on him as as it uh, was at the Washington game where when, yeah. they're, when they're playing him soft. Okay, he's fine then, but I, he's not the kind of guy who goes up and gets the ball. You know, he's not. That's what Des does very well. Uh, and and Terrence doesn't do that at all. And and we and we've seen Terrence is not exactly a uh, uh, he's he's not a game breaker at receiver either. So I think they need that that uh, component in the offense. They need some. They need help everywhere. Is, is, well, they do. Is what we're saying absolutely. I, I, to me, you just take the you know when it comes to that part of the draft wherever you are because they're at the top of each round. I, I think they they should they could take the best guy available. What if the best guy's an round. offensive lineman? Well, here's here, here got, here's another scenario for you. Here's another scenario, and to me, this is. We're going to find this out pretty early, uh, the, the whole running back situation. Certainly they need a running back. Now, last year, is it fair to say you guys weren't all that excited by the Darren McFadden signing? It wasn't overly excited, but i tell you what. I had more faith in him than I, than I did in Joseph Randall. Has Joseph Randall been arrested today? Well, that bore out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but, again, he, he was a guy who didn't cost much. Right. He, he was a guy who didn't start until week seven of the regular season. right. right. And behind an offensive line with an offense with a quarterback that did nothing to press defenses and, and present any sort of passing threat, he finished fourth in the league in rushing last year. Yeah. What if, what if you say, look, the way to go is we know we need defense. Young is always, young and fast is always better on defense. This is a more simplistic defensive scheme. We can plug defenders in from day one, and they can have a bigger impact. Why don't we spend a little bit of money, sign Matt Forte or Doug Martin, Lamar Miller, Chris Ivory, one of these guys to a one- or two-year deal, pair them with McFadden, don't worry about a running back in this draft, address our defensive needs, and we, you know what? We are going to come back and take a young running back next year. But for this year, we have so many defensive needs. Let's take that off the board, not even worry about it, do it patchwork for one more year, and then address running back next year. It's a scary thing, but I think I have to agree with David. But out of those running backs, David, who do you like best? Forte, well, Ivory, Martin, Miller? Well, out of that group, I like Doug Martin best. I mean, he has shown that he can be the lead back and get you 1,400 yards in a season. Uh, he's also had injuries keep him out for big parts of the season. Uh, you know, I think there's a, more of an, an upside with Lamar Miller. He's only 24. But you look, he rarely carried, touches the ball more than 12 to, to 14 times. He's never really been a lead-back sort of guy. And uh, so how much are you going to pay him to do that? I, I think really if you're talking about, you know what, if you just want the best tandem you can have this year and focus on everything else, uh, you sign – you signed the Chicago running back, no question. Matt Forte, Forte. yeah, because he, yeah. Is, he is very good catching the ball. There's no question about that. And and, and I get that. Uh, not, I don't know how he would feel. I'm not saying it's ideal. I would rather have a young running back that you can just look, this is what we're going to have this for three or four more years and let him grow behind this offensive line. But given all the other needs you have, I think you could still be very effective if you went about it this way for one year. I don't have a problem with that, and I and I see what you're saying. Uh, uh, but but my feeling too about this particular draft is that you have such premium picks in every round uh, that you ought to maximize that and not 
if you're taking the best guy you can get at that point, then I'm okay with that. You know, if you're, it's like in the first round, I've been a, you know, a proponent of them drafting a quarterback, but only if they feel like Wentz or Goff uh, is, is that guy. If you feel like he is worth the fourth pick and, that he, and you really like him and you really believe in him and you think he is the future of this franchise, then you should take him. But if you mm-hmm. don't believe those things, then you should take somebody else. And, and, uh, and, and as I, everyone wants to say, as we've discussed before, Joey Bosa, because he's a defensive end and he was supposed to be the first pick of the draft and all of that. But if you listen to what scouts say about him, you look at what he did at the Combine, he, he's he's not an explosive player at a defensive end. So if he is he really better to have on this team than Jalen Ramsey is, who may be he may be the best athlete in the draft. And and to me, you, you certainly could use that at cornerback. And if he ends up at safety, you could use that too. I mean, I, I don't have a problem with them doing any of that at that point. But I but it, I I was, have not been a big fan of Derrick Henry. I don't think he's a really nifty kind of runner. You know, he's he's a big, fast guy who who, who is very athletic. He's just not. He's a little bit like. Herschel Walker, from the standpoint, he kind of hunts and pecks back there, and he sees a lane, and then it's like a rocket going off through it. Um, but, but at any rate, I, I do think that he is made to order for this for this particular offense and the way that they run uh, with his own blocking schemes and and with the fact that he's a down he's a downhill runner. Downhill, and and think back. I mean, Garrett has always liked that in this system. He loved Marion Barber. Yes, uh, he was fighting for Marion Barber because he wants that north south runner in this scheme and. Uh, yeah, Henry fits that. So, again, we're, we're going to tell, though, by the level of running back that they sign in free agency, because what you're going to have is they're not going to take a running back at number four. No. Uh, the earliest no. you would consider taking it would be at the top of the second. Now, again, if you do it at the top of the second, you're leaving some really good defensive tackles on the board. You're leaving some good corners on the board. Um, you know, you're leaving some good linebackers on the board there. So... Um, if they sign a high-profile running back, uh, I think what you're going to see is they will still discuss running backs at the top of the second and the third, but the tiebreaker is going to be, yeah, but which of these guys can step in and make us better from day one? Well, now we have Forte and McFadden, so clearly it's going to be this defensive tackle. Yeah, clearly I, it's going to be this linebacker. And I don't have a problem with that at all. If that's what you decide, they decide to do, then I got no problem. Hey, David, if I say, if I give you this trivia question, and if I say 1998 to 2015, uh, NFL related, what would your response be? And don't don't have it be that the Cowboys d- did not uh, have any playoff success in those years, but those are the years that Peyton Manning. Played for the he just de- gave the answer. You didn't even get him the chance because to he answer. didn't know. He would have jumped in. I know David. He David would have jumped in. It's old Peyton Manning. But uh, the Cowboys tried- didn't have playoff success. They won two games in that period. Okay, okay. The yeah, Cowboys hadn't had playoff success. It's amazing. The whole Peyton Manning era, and the Cowboys won two playoff games. He won a few more than that, didn't he? Uh, I think he did. Yeah. Uh, but uh, and, he, and he won two Super Bowls. Even though we can argue and discuss his, his he wanted just like John Elway wanted how the can end you of his argue career. Or discuss it. He uh, okay, but uh, the reason we, we quarterback for two Super Bowls. The, the reason the, the reason we bring it up is it's Monday, and uh, this is the day that Peyton Manning is going to officially announce uh, his retirement. And uh, I'm just, just sitting here wondering. Uh, I'd like to get some of your thoughts on on his career. And uh, do you think we really appreciated him as much in Dallas? He, if, he, if he would have paid in the NFC East, we would know far more about him. But I he, think we know enough about him. Well, we know enough Manning. about him, but we didn't see him as much as, as if he played. If, if he, were you if, watching the postseason all these years? He was, he was playing a lot. But if we he played him. twice against the Cowboys, every, all those seasons he'd have uh, a lot. I can't add that quickly. Yeah. He would have played the Cowboys a lot. 
just just and your thoughts on on, on the Manning retirement. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is remarkable when you put it in that context how his career fits with what the, when the one of the longest cowboy droughts in success postseason success in, in their history. Uh, and, and I do, I, Ty, I'm loath to say this, but I do agree with Barry to some extent that we didn't get to see his greatness as much. We kind of dropped in and out on it, but we weren't confronted with it every year because he was an NFC opponent. Um, but we saw his brother. But, but you can certainly appreciate Well, yeah, you saw his brother and you went, oh, well, and this Manning isn't as good as the other one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and, and yet... Would the Cowboys have been better off all these years with him at quarterback than uh, Tony Romo? Than Eli? Eli? I'm not going to. I'm not blaming the quarterback for all their. Problems. I'm just asking no, I, the question. I, I think the issues go beyond who's back there. But but back to Peyton Manning uh, again. And you always hear this about you know the and, and it's so trite to say it, but the ambassador for the game. I mean, he he has been. I understand there are some issues that are coming up late in his career that uh, he's going to have to deal with potentially going forward here. But uh, just how he conducted himself, uh, how he lifted teams on his shoulder pads and kept them in contention for so long, uh, in a lot of ways was the, you know, was the lightning rod from the standpoint of, well, yeah, look, all these passing yards, that's great, but once you get – Enter deep into the playoffs. Uh, it's not just about offense. It's not just about passing. You have to do more. And and he had some spectacular meltdowns, if you will, too, at key moments. So um, more consistent uh, than than Brett Farr. But but to me, it's really interesting because he's not a guy who was elusive. Uh, so often, when you think of the most uh, spectacular playmakers in a sport. Uh, they're elusive, or fleet of foot, or uh, uh, you know, very innovative, creative in, in how they go about it. He was just so good and had such an incredible understanding of the game. Uh, he did it as a basically as a pure drop back, you know, pocket presence. So, and uh, it, it, unlike Brett Favre, I mean, uh, to me, he was every bit as exciting as Brett Favre, but he didn't do all of this improvisational stuff. He just got back, reading the defense, knowing exactly where to go with the ball and when. Are you saying he was Larry Bird-like? Well, yeah. I mean, I guess you could say that in some ways. I think Larry's more talented. Larry doesn't get enough credit for being talented physically. You know, he's not you know, athletic, but he was very talented in what he was doing. I think the thing to Peyton me— Peyton Manning's pretty talented, he's talented too. No, no, but oh. the, the thing that's, that's about Peyton Manning that made him so good was his head. That big, huge head of his, that brain inside of it, that's what made him great. You know, he was doing so much at the line of scrimmage, figuring out he knew where he was going with the ball, I believe, pretty much before the ball was snapped. And I say most quarterbacks think that. But I'm, and I'm saying is he is reading things there. The, the, the play comes in from the side, he's reading stuff at the line of scrimmage, and he's making, it, making his decision then and getting it out. And so he's a very cerebral quarterback. And I think that we even see in the fact of the way he retired, why didn't he just retire right at the Super Bowl? Why didn't he just say afterwards, you know, I'm going to Disney World and I'm going home? They don't do that anymore. Well, I know. You, you, you don't show your age. He didn't do that because he didn't want to detract from, from his teammates. Nah, I don't think that's what it is what, at all. What do, you, what do you think it I think, was? I think it was because he's a smart guy, and he decided, you know what, in the emotion of the moment, I'm not going to make a decision. I'm going to I think he was back. also analyzing whether he could play somewhere else. Absolutely. understanding. I he was, because none of these guys, all of these guys think, okay, because right. it's so different from them. You can, I mean, how often have we heard Troy Aikman? Was, was there any doubt that Troy Aikman's career was over? 
No, but, but no, what we no, saw but, from the outside. No, no but he's second guessing. How often that. does he talk about coming yeah. back? He said, you know, even two and three years later, he was looking at ways to get back in if he could. Well, you know, and, and Roger Staubach, uh, you know, after no, I mean, I'm sorry, when uh, Dan uh, Don Meredith wanted to retire, your cowboy quarterback. I know, I'm right. getting them all mixed up. Gosh. When Don Meredith retired, he tried to come back, and yep. uh, and uh, everybody and, stays and too. And everybody stay, told him no. That everybody stays too, too long. long. But that's what makes them great. They're warriors. Sure. They don't know when to quit. But that was the thing with 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 Peyton, though. Is that he checked it all out? It just like he he's he was the first guy at at the facility every morning and the last guy to leave. And that's and that's the way he was in this too. So, so David, we look at the wall and it tells us that we have been talking to you for a long time. The clock on the wall, actually. Look <laughs> so, at the wall. The wall, the wall is now talking to us. Know, the, the it clock it really feels like a long time. But, <laughs> no, no. But, wait, but, but before we let you go. Because I, I, even though I gave Kevin, I, I suggested Kevin wrap this up. I still have one more question. Oh, great! When when training camp starts, who's going to be the Kevin Escobar? Who, who's yeah? Right. Who's who will be the quarterback to get Gavin? This back backup quarterback that will be getting Gavin Escobar the ball this season. He's asking who the backup quarterback will be. That That's was what. The, the thank long you. Question. Thank you. Either Colt McCoy or Chase McDaniel. I, I you know what Ch- you mean Chase Daniel. Yes, you did. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't have a problem with either one of those guys. I think that's, that's a fine backup quarterback. Although I, you know, I, I'm on record saying I like Matt Hasselbeck, but you know, he'd probably be a little bit more expensive. And a little bit more, but, but I think we saw last year, you shouldn't scrimp at that position. No, you should uh, not. But it depends on what they're spending money on. As I've, I've advocated for Olivier Vernon, if you if you go out and get him, you got no money left for anybody. Uh, and so you, you're going to have to get cheap somewhere if you do something like that. But, David, it was great having you on, as always. We'll have you back uh, the next time you can be with us, uh, even if Barry's here. Uh, so, how, how come you only had me on when Evan's not on? Is there, Evan, Evan, does Evan have some issues? Evan lobbied yes, hard against yes, you. Yes, he does. In fact, we're not even going to tell Evan. We have two more podcasts coming up today. Both include Evan. Who, who's in Surprise, Arizona. One, one, on, one on baseball. One on baseball. And what a surprise A, su- a surprise from Surprise. Yeah. And, and Evan lobbies hard against having you on. We're not going to even, when we get Evan on, we're not going to tell him we had you. No, no, we're going <laughs> to pretend like you weren't even here. Okay. But all, but all, our, other, but, but all our other listeners, they, they love it when you come on. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they do. And, and, and we're going to ask uh, <laughs> producer Tom if he could come up with some of those e-break uh, moments. Just drop the them in oh, randomly. Yeah, drop them in, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Thanks, David. Thank you, guys. There goes David Moore. Great to have him on, as always, talking about everything. I, you know, I don't think he sounds like Kermit at all. No, I don't either. And, you know, th- th- I'll tell you this. I lived with David for a summer. Whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> it's really turned sordid all of a sudden. Uh, yeah, I lived with him at, at uh, Cowboy Training Camp one year in Thousand Oaks. That's how long ago that was. Wow. And uh, and Marjorie Lewis lived with us, too. In, in, <laughs> this is really it was, it was a three. Now. It was a three, threes company uh, reverse <laughs> yeah. scenario. Uh, Marjorie Lewis, she's great. You know, Marjorie Lewis and I are coming out with a book about uh, sports day. That's why I brought her up. Did you I, really? I lobbed it up you for you. You that other form. That, that'll be coming out fairly soon. It, we're hoping it'll be a textbook for high school and college journalism classes. Oh, well, we have a text message here from uh, Surprise, Arizona. Evan Grant, I think he's being uh, <laughs> a little passive-aggressive. Just let me know when you guys are ready. Because we're a couple of minutes late. Oh. So we're, we're going to say goodbye and call Evan now. We'll say goodbye. Bye. <laughs>